on, here we go. Is it already recording? Oh, it's going. Yeah, this is all you. All right. Hey, everybody. Good to be back with y'all. I feel like some budding friendship with you guys. I'm here just barely enough to kind of know y'all. Uh, we're finishing up Mere Christianity, Christianity tonight, and uh, this book is so good. If you have not read it, I only read it. Um, I mean, I read it a long time ago, and then I've read it in preparation for this lesson, which I've done a couple times, and every time I read it, it's just so good. So I want to encourage you to spend some time with it. So we're finishing out the book tonight with his section called Beyond Personality, which he covers a bunch of stuff, and we'll see if we cover all of it. I am looking at my sheet, oh, which does have the uh, yellow blanks there, so I'll know what I need to say so that y'all can fill your blanks. Okay, um, but let me start with this. Actually, before the introduction that you have there on the page, because I went back and as I was reading this, I was just struck by this passage because it sets it up well. So what Lewis is saying here is that God weaves into his creation um, signposts that point to his character and identity. Okay, So things that remind us of him but are not themselves him, but they look like him. And so he's got this, this great passage. Um a statue has the shape of a man, but it's not alive. We'll come back to that. In the same way, man has the shape or likeness of God, but he is not the kind of life. But he does not got. He, sorry, he has not got the kind of life God has. We're going to talk about that tonight. The difference in those lives. But he makes some kind of. He explains that a little bit more in this passage. Everything God has made has some likeness to Himself. Space is like Him in its hugeness. Not the greatness of space is the same kind as the greatness of God. But it is a sort of symbol of it, or a translation of it into non-spiritual terms. Matters like God and having energy, though again, of course, physical energy is a different kind of thing than the power of God. The vegetable world is like him because it's alive and he is the living God. But life in this biological sense is not the same as the life there is in God. It's, it's only a kind of symbol or a shadow of it. I like that word, shadow of it. When we come on to the animals, we find other kinds of resemblance in addition to biological life. The intense activity and fertility of the insects, for example, is a first dim resemblance to the unceasing activity and the creativeness of God. In the higher mammals, we get the beginnings of instinctive affection. That's not the same thing as the love that exists in God, but it's like it. Rather in the way that a picture drawn on a flat piece of paper can nevertheless be like a landscape. When we come to man or woman, you know, this is before gender-inclusive language. We'll run into that a couple times tonight. When we come to man, the highest of the animals, see, that's where it gets really dangerous. When we come to woman, the highest of the animals, we might say. It's a universal man. Right. That's fine. We get the completest resemblance to God, which we know of. And he has this in parentheses, which is great. There may be creatures in other worlds who are more like God than man is, but we do not know about them. <laughs> so, so Lewis, side note, has this three-part series on space. Has anybody ever read his Space Trilogy? So it's a fiction, but it's kind of an exploration of this sentence. Uh, are there creatures in other worlds that are more like God? So it's really fascinating. And how would those creatures be saved? All right. He goes on. Sorry, I digress. Man not only lives, but loves and reasons. Biological life reaches its highest known level in him. But, new paragraph, but what man in his natural condition has not got is spiritual life, the higher and different sort of life that exists in God. Okay, so tonight's really an exploration of the difference between those signposts that point to God 
and this higher reality that is God that we are being drawn into. So I don't know if y'all are, if y'all have quotes on yours. Do, you, do y'all have quotes in your blank? Yeah. So so again, let me look at these two quotes. The Son of God became a man to enable men and women to become sons of God. Okay, and then that second quote, the whole purpose for which we exist is thus to be taken into the life of God. So that's that language that we're talking about. So the word life in that description is what's really critical. For Lewis, there's life, and then there's life. And those two things are different. The latter being not only an improvement on the former, but another dimension. We're going to talk a little bit about the different dimensions tonight. So not only a difference in degree but a difference in kind. It's a different kind of life. Not just a better life, a different kind. So, um, so to explain that, he to, to explain this higher life we're being called up into, what he's going to spend most of this section doing is explaining God. Because the higher life we're being called up into is based on who? God. Okay? And so... Um, that's why this section is called Beyond Personality. Because all those things I read, you might, all those different kind of examples, those would be to some degree personal, whether I mean, it's an animal or humans. But, but what we see in all of those examples is there must be something beyond those. That God has left these signposts or traces of himself, but there must be something beyond personality. And that is God. That's what we're being drawn into. So he's going to describe that in this section. Where am I? All right, here we go. Got the Blue Ranger tonight. I think I did this before, and I had the Red Ranger, and my son picked the blue tonight. So they're still making Power Rangers, for the record. They're on Netflix. Y'all watch Power Rangers around here? We, we had a Power Rangers phase. There's yeah. so many. We've watched them all. They're still as terrible as you remember. So cheesy. They're still making them. Okay. All right. So in his one of his first sections, he talks about sons and daughters of God. I think he probably just talks about sons of God, but we're going to talk about sons and daughters of God. We're going to try to do that. And so he, to understand our identity as children of God, he's going to talk about the identity of Jesus. And what he is going to say is, there is a difference between the way that Jesus is, a, is the Son of God and that we are sons or daughters of God. There's a difference. Okay. And, and we talked about this a little bit when I talked about the Trinity. Um, I don't know when that was. A month or two ago? Right. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the Trinity tonight. And we talked about, Taylor, if you remember the words begotten, Remember begetting? Y'all remember what begetting is? We talked about begetting versus created. And so he makes this distinction. So this is 2A, or Roman numeral 2, number 2A. Jesus is begotten by the Father, whereas we are created by the Father. So the difference is when you beget something, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. Okay? So a man begets... Little babies, human babies, men or women. A beaver begets little beavers. Bird begets little eggs that turn into little birds. Okay. But when you make something or create something, you create something of a different kind. So a bird makes a nest. A beaver builds a dam. A man, well, a man may make like a statue, and that statue may really look like a man or a toy that may have the resemblance of a man, but of course, it can't breathe, it can't think, it is not a, a man, okay? This Blue Ranger is not real. So what God begets, 
is God. Just as what man begets is man, and this is a quote from Lewis, what God creates is not God, just as what man makes is not man. And this is why men are not sons of God in the sense that Christ is. They may be like God in certain ways, so think back to that passage we started with, but they are not the same thing as, or of the same kind as God. They're more like statues or pictures of God, or we might say toys. In the same way, man has the shape or likeness of God, but he has not got the kind of life in him that God has. Okay, so uh, what what story does that remind you of? Especially as I like hold up this toy. Yeah, Pinocchio, right? Okay, something that looks a lot like the real thing, but of course isn't. He wants to be a real boy, and he's not a real boy, right? His nose grows, and he has all kinds of issues. So Geppetto... I had to look up Pinocchio's dad's name. I knew it was something <laughs> like that. I had to Pinocchio's dad. Geppetto. All right. Um, Geppetto forms Pinocchio, and but of course Pinocchio's not. He doesn't have the kind of life in him that Geppetto has. But he's going through this process of being drawn into that higher life. Right? You follow? It's so in some ways Pinocchio's the gospel. Okay. Um, <laughs> So let me read this this great section. I'm not going to do a ton of reading. I'm going to read this and one other passage. But it's just so good that I'm going to read it. Um, all right. But what man, this is the rest of that earlier passage. But what man in his natural condition has not got is spiritual life, the higher and different sort of life that exists in God. Um, oh, actually, let me, so that this paragraph will make more sense, let me define these next two things. Okay. Number, so look at number four, and then I'll read that paragraph. So the difference between biological life and spiritual life is what he's talking about. Okay, so he calls those Zoe, which is the higher spiritual form of life that is God that we are being called into, like Pinocchio is being called in, into this different kind of life. And there's Bios, which is our human lives. Okay, the problem with our bios human lives is that they are always tending to run down and decay and have problems that's what you all are dealing with with people's teeth with people's bodies that are falling apart okay why are they falling apart because it's uh, sorry we weren't sure if we should include you or not <laughs> no i, I have to put mine down um, and so he these words he's using are biblical words bios and zoe he's just uh He's pointing out that in the biblical language, there are multiple words often for a single thing, okay? Um, or conversely, there might be a single word that we have multiple words to define. And like love is a classic example. Then the New Testament, there's a whole bunch of different words for love, and each of them kind of means a different thing. And so he's doing a similar thing here. He says, you know, the Bible's talking about life a lot and people that need life. But of course, you look around at these people, and they're alive, right? Okay, so what's the Bible talking about? It's got to be talking about some other kind of life. Namely, this life and God. Okay, so let me read this passage to you, and then we're going to move on. But what man in his natural condition has not got is spiritual life, the higher and different sort of life that exists in God. We use the same word life for both, but you, uh, but if you thought that both must therefore be the same sort of thing, that would be like thinking that the greatness of space and the greatness of God were the same sort of greatness. In reality, the difference between biological life and spiritual life is so important, I'm going to give them two distinct names. He talks about those different names. And then he says, a man who changed from having bios to having zoe would have gone through as big a change as a statue which changed from being carved stone to being a real man. 
And there's this great line, maybe the best in the book. And that is precisely what Christianity is about. This world's this world is a great sculptor's shop. We are the statues, and there is a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. Oh, so <laughs> Pinocchio, right? All right. Okay, so um, he's going to try to help us to understand or visualize this other life. And again, that life that we're being called into has to be based on the character and identity of God. So he's going to talk about the Trinity. So that's Roman numeral 3.1. The Trinity helps us to understand this difference in kind between Bios and Zoe. And so he talks about how... um, Okay. We're going to use our, our props here. Okay. To, you know, we talked about the Trinity a couple weeks ago, and we, we, you know, like, didn't really make much ground. <laughs> you know, I think we left probably with more questions than we had answers. And so he, he kind of approaches that and, and owns that the Trinity is a, is a problematic um, intellectual challenge for most of us. How can three things be one thing? Okay. So to help us understand that, he talks about different dimensions. Okay. So... Uh, you know, a single dimension is a line, right? Okay, that's a single, there's, there's only one direction, okay? But something that's two-dimensional would be like a square, okay? Now, a square, sorry, is made up of what? Lines, okay, right? And so a, a square is the result of multiple lines in this other dimension. So each of those lines still retains its property as a line, but they're being combined into something greater. Okay, you follow? In that other dimension. All right. Similarly, a cube is made up of a bunch of what? Lines. Squares. Squares, yeah. Lines and squares. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And yes. So <laughs> Kyle and Anna probably remember that the first two times I did this lesson, I built a cube out of paper and tape. It took me like hours in the office to do it. So, uh, yeah, I finally realized like, I could just like take a box and that would be the same thing. <laughs> okay, so you get it. Okay, so okay, so, so now a square. Uh, so this cube, sorry, is made up of squares that are made up of lines, but those things are bound together in this other dimension in ways they are not. If you were to if you were to go kind of back a dimension, right? If you're going back into the second dimension or the first dimension. All right, you with me? Okay. What he says is, in God's dimension, you can find a being who is three persons while remaining one being, just as a cube is six squares while remaining one cube. Okay, there's there's other ways we experience this in life. Um, for instance, in married life, right? So, you know, when you got married, probably the, the preacher or pastor performed your service, talked about, like, the two will become one flesh, right? The two of you will become one flesh. And uh, what's he talking about there? Okay, well, partly he's talking about sex and marriage. But that really what happens when we have sex is that there, there is something even more than our bodies coming together. Because, of course, our bodies come together for a moment and then they, they're, they come apart, right? And then you're, you're separated. And, like, you go to work and Caitlin goes to work and y'all go in different directions, right? And so how is it that we're still one flesh? Well... You know, the Bible's like leaning into this idea that there is this other dimension, and what 
that is influenced by the dimension that you're living in, for example. So there is this spiritual world that we can't see, but that we we um, contribute to, or that we are part of in ways we don't expect. And so that's why you know, like the you know, like the the purity culture that I grew up in in church. You know, it's like don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. There are consequences to this, consequences to this. And I was like, you know, I was thinking about the possibility of making a baby or something like that. And like the youth minister, I was at this youth retreat this weekend and one of his guys who's 16 was talking to him about sex and he's like, I just don't really know what the big deal is. I think I'm just going to have sex and stuff. And he was trying to convince him that there was like spiritual issues. Your souls are bound in ways that are, that are tough to navigate. And finally that wasn't getting through to him. And he just said, well, the condom might break. (laughs) And the guy was like, that can happen. (laughs) So that's, that's what he landed on. That's like good youth ministry right there. Okay. Uh, But right, okay, there's this, um, or let me, I'll try to think of another example of this other dimension that we sometimes um, kind of experience. So did anybody play softball in here, like girls softball specifically? So most of you guys probably didn't, any ladies? I played girls softball. You did? Okay. I was trying to think of the sport with the most um, team spirit, and I think it's probably girls softball. Um. Like it's it's I mean it's annoying if you go to a girls softball game because the whole time y'all know they're they're they've all got their hats certain ways they've got this chance for every girl that's going up there right they they do these dances the whole I mean it's just a loud thing what are they trying to do they're trying to build team spirit right that's the language we use for it which is curious language and uh, you know why all right Be- because they're convinced that they can they can like tap into this other sphere that will actually influence what's happening in, in the game. You know, that, that Sarah's going to hit better because they're chanting. All right. Okay. You follow? All right. So that would be an example of this, like, these, these like glimpses we get that there is this other kind of life or other dimension that we're being called into. Oh, yeah, so Lewis suggests that this is 3A, that when we pray, what's actually happening is that we are entering that third dimension or fourth dimension, however you want to think, that, that dimension beyond ours. He says this, he says, when you pray, God is the thing to which we are praying. He's, he, he's, he talks about this. Guy, I'm not going to try to change the language. He says, God is the thing to which he is praying. He talks about this this man who bends down on his knees at night by his bed. He said, God's the thing to which he's praying. He's the goal he's trying to reach. But God is also the thing inside of him which is pushing him on. The motive, power, it's what's moving him. But God is also the road or bridge along which he is being pushed to the goal. Um, and of course you'd think that or else you wouldn't pray. Unless you thought your prayer was entering some other space in which God is, in, in which God is entertaining those prayer requests, in which he is receiving those, you wouldn't do it. But that is the belief that when we enter this time of prayer, it is a sacred time. That something from this other dimension is, is reaching into ours. Hmm. Let me pause there. Any questions? And do you have anything to drink? Like a, like a water or a Kool-Aid or whatever that is? Water's good. Yeah, water's great. That's crystal light. That's crystal light. Okay. Yeah, it's not Kool-Aid. Mm.
Uh, any questions? Okay. All right, we got some good stuff yet to come. No, this is great. No, I need to apologize. It's wonderful. Last time I was here, uh, we also talked about, oh, I was going to say Colossians 3, maybe verse 4. I preached about this a couple weeks ago. To go back to that imagery of prayer, Colossians 3 says that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. That we're being like called up into God's own life. And that's Lewis's point in this whole section. That's the goal. That we're being called up into God's life, which is greater than ours. It's like the difference between you know being in the dugout and being kind of called up into that team spirit that's electric and energizing. And... Um, all right. God's relationship to time, Roman numeral four. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Our two-dimensionality, Lewis talks about, meaning we're limited compared to a three-dimensional God or a multi-dimensional God. Of course, he's more than three-dimensional. Our two-dimensionality begins to show itself when we reflect upon God's relationship to time. So Lewis uses prayer again to discuss this problem. And he begins with the perplexing question that maybe you've asked before. And that is, and and he actually says that after a lecture that he gave, um, somebody came up to him and asked him this question. How can God answer the millions of prayers being offered in any one second? How is that possible? Or, if God knows what I'll do in the future, how do I have free will? He talks about that as well. Um... So, there we go. Go back to our props here. So, we'll do another line here. And um, so, this is a timeline. All right. So, Will, um, tell me some significant events in your life. You were born. July 29th, 1990. 1990, okay. Other significant events? Uh, let's see, I was baptized when I was 14. Okay, so it would be 2004. Yeah. Uh, let's see, started college and t- or graduated high school in 2008. Okay. Before that, you had a good youth intern at one point. But <laughs> what year was that? It's good you got baptized beforehand. That might have derailed things. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he played Halo once at a lake house with this guy. Sorry. Life changing. Life changing. Yeah, that's okay. It's fine. It's fine. What else? Expecting a baby in 2020. 2020. There we go. Okay. 
All right, so here's Will's timeline. <clears throat> and the thing about Will's timeline is that it is ever marching onward, right? He can't, he can't go back. So as much as he would like to go back to Halo in 2006, <laughs> the game that got away. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all <laughs> love to go back to the game? No, we didn't get away. <laughs> you know, uh, as much as, you know, he can't, right? Okay. And so this, you know, uh, this is the thing about our two-dimensionality, that we're all living on these timelines, and so we, we can't go back in time, and similarly, we can't go forward in time beyond, beyond you know, uh, which time will allow. You know, it's, time is marching on at its, own, at its own pace, and as much as you'd like to fast-forward to February, for example, and the arrival of this babe, especially in those last weeks when it's getting really uncomfortable, right? Like, as much as you'd like to fast-forward, you can't. You'll, time will... It, it will get here before you know it, uh, as you do. Okay, and so um, this this is each of our timelines. But what what Lewis says about God is that God is not bound by this timeline. That God is the paper on which this timeline is drawn. Okay, that God contains the whole timeline in Himself, and so the whole of human history is for God the present, because uh, He's the paper. Are you still with me? The whole of human history would be for God, the present. And um, and so he, he gives another example. He says, remember Lewis is a writer, obviously. Uh, for the record, he became a Christian in his mid-20s, and he lived another like 31 years, and he wrote 31 books in that time, right? <laughs> Christian books. So average one a year. Fairly prolific. Um, most of them are still in print, too. There's a couple that are out of print, but most are still in print. Um, he gives this example to think about time. Imagine I'm writing a novel, this is Lewis talking, about Mary. And Mary lays down her work, and, and he writes this sentence. Mary lays down her work, and at the next moment there was a knock at the door. And he says, as the author, I'm free in between the first part of that sentence, Larry, uh, Mary lays down her work, and the second part, and there was a knock at the door. Between those two parts of that sentence, the author could lay down his pen, and he could think for hours about who Mary is, who she's likely to encounter at the door, what she's going to do when she encounters them, what should come next in this story. So the author is not bound by the timeline that Mary is bound by as a character in the story. Okay? And, and so God has all eternity in which to listen. He gives this point. Remember, this is during World War II. He said God has all eternity in which to listen to the split second of prayer put up by a pilot as his plane crashes in flames all of eternity to receive in that prayer. It's kind of a cool idea. Right? More importantly, so Roman numeral four, number two, what that means is that God has always been Christ and Christ has always been God. Uh, another way I've said this before is is that Christ is what God has always been saying. You know, he's the word of God in John 1. Word is speech act. And so it's not that there was a moment when God started saying Jesus. He's always been, well, he's always been saying Christ. That's what he's always been saying. Okay, so to help you understand this, Okay, what I want you to do is to imagine two books on a table sitting on top of each other. 
This is actually what Lewis wants you to imagine. No, I've got them right here. Okay. To help you imagine it, I'm now going to just show you. Okay. Okay. Got the message here. And then Ivy. Put that message on the bottom. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, okay. All right. So, so book, let's call this book B on top and this book A on bottom. Okay, so he's talking about the relationship of Jesus and God to each other. Remember, he's exploring the relationship of God and the Trinity to help us understand the kind of life we're being called into because the Trinity, the, the relationship of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is the life of God. Right? So that's what we're being called into. Okay. So he says, book B sits on top of book A, correct? All right. NIV on top of the message. The position of the NIV is therefore being caused by the position of the message. Right? Okay, so if I were to, to pull out the message, the position of the NIV would change. Still with me? All right. Okay, so now imagine that these two books have always been there, forever. Okay? Remember, God's outside of time. So the effect, this is one of your blanks, does not necessarily follow the cause in terms of the timeline. If you move beyond time, okay, in a, in a timeline, the effect always follows the cause. You've got a cause and an effect. But if you're outside of time, that is not necessarily true. Okay? Still with me? It doesn't have to be by rule. Okay? And this kind of stretches our two-dimensional thinking. For instance, you, you see glimpses of this in our own life. When I told you to imagine uh, the two books on top of each other, you did it instantly, right? Okay. Now, what actually happened was that your, your, your process of imagination started, and then you called to mind those two books, but that it's an instantaneous thing. Like, you don't distinguish that, like, till, okay, imagination, start working. It's like the engine's kind of starting up. It's getting going. It's getting going. Okay, now call to mind those books. It was instantaneous like that. Um, so the the cause did not necessarily perceive the effect. They were instantaneous. Okay. In the same way, the son, begotten by the father, meaning he's of the same kind, did not begin to exist <clears throat> as God at some point. Rather, the son has always been the self-expression of God, the Word, or, like I said, God has always been saying, Christ. So God, the message, has always caused the position of Christ. Okay, he's begotten from him in that sense, but it wasn't like a succession, like it happened one after the other. It was always that way. Okay, you with me? All right. Questions? I don't know. What is that? The effect does not necessarily follow the cause. God from above or outside or all around. Oh, God from above or outside or all around contains the whole line and sees it all. Sorry. I should have been clear about that. Now that's a blank right there. That is a good blank. Yep. <laughs> Now recall, I think you picked the blanks, right? I, I picked the blanks, yeah. Okay. I, I wanted that to be a... A real doozy. Yeah. I appreciate that. So. All right. 
So now he moves on to the Holy Spirit. So let's join him. <laughs> I, I did have a comment to make yeah. if it's if it's worth. Yeah. Uh, we, we talk about creation a lot, and you know how we we understand from science that that the universe started at a certain point, and then we also talk about how you know Will and Mike Craig he's picked up on this old Kalam cosmological argument that um, everything that begins to exist has a cause, you know, and then oh, yeah. he uses that mm-hmm. argument to mm-hmm. uh, say the universe began to exist and then it's caused. But one thing that's important about God is that he's not caused, he's uncaused, you know, so along the same lines as what you're saying. And so mm-hmm. yeah. when you bring that argument up to someone, they always say, well, then what's what caused God or what created God or, you know, mm-hmm. you have the same problem that we have. And it's, well, we yeah. don't because God has existed uncaused forever. Yeah. Which... To someone who's an atheist, feels like you know it's cheating. Mm-hmm. But you know, and, uh, more and more, and I talked about this with uh, the Trinity. I'm convinced that Christians really need to think hard about time, because a lot of that has to do with time. You know, the whole there has to be a cause relies on that timeline. You know, the succession of time, right? Like for t- because time's always been rolling on, something has to start every next effect has to cause it but if god's outside of time then that cannot be true of god he could be eternal that's what we mean by eternal mm-hmm. it doesn't just mean that he stretches forever backwards and forever forwards it means he's outside of that mm-hmm. and that's why like in heaven it won't you know i used to think it's going to be terrible to go up there and sing ten thousand angels for ten thousand years mm-hmm. right you know but that's not it, it, it won't feel, it won't pass for us that way, like like the timeline. You know, it will just be sure eternal. There's a lot of great movies that deal with that, obviously about time. I always think of Interstellar when I think of oh, yeah. uh, of this idea about how you know the implications of time and its effect on reality. Not a fan of that movie. Yeah, he loves that movie. Yeah, it's great. That's a great one. But uh, I think it kind of puts some of that into perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, I think about like I don't know, like video games, and there's such a thing as an on-rails shooter, which is like an old-style kind of game where the camera is moving your character and you're sort of on rails effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the thought that you could get off those rails and you would have this freedom, uh, in, in a sense, which is to say that God has. You know, all humanity is sort of on rails in a way. Mm-hmm. We have free will. That's not what the common I'm making, mm-hmm. but um, that he's completely able to just walk around freely. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Analogy. That's all right. Um, he taught. Well, this is not in this chapter, so maybe I'll leave that. But there's a great. C.S. Lewis has a new book out, and uh, about prayer, and uh, which is hard to do when you've been dead a long time. But basically. They collected everything he wrote about prayer, including that chapter about the pilot who's going down in, in flames. They collected everything he wrote about prayer into one book. And one of those chapters is really good. It has, I don't know what this is originally from. It's not from your Christianity. But he talks about our prayers and why we should pray. Um, and it has to do with God being outside of time and us bound by time. And it's it's really fascinating. It's worth worth uh, reading um, so I guess I, I can't really explain it better right now but I'll just promo that his new book I've got a question yeah 
kind of what, what you're saying right now. So mm-hmm. I was thinking about that analogy too with the timeline as well. So if God exists outside of time, is the only time that he's in time when Jesus was on earth? That's a great question. Um, so, <clears throat> so some, um, I, I find this pretty compelling that, um, the incarnation, this is, I don't know, this, I find it compelling and it may be heresy. So, uh, it's not something I have preached yet, but in this safe setting and for the millions listening on the podcast, it will send me hate mailers. Um, it's like nine, is that what Maybe. Oh, that's a great, that's good. Um, some describe the incarnation of Jesus as the second incarnation, the first being creation. Kind of like the way that we see, um, like he talked about in that first, that first paragraph I read about how all these things that he creates point to him. That there is a way in which God binds himself to his whole creation similar to the way he binds himself to creation in Jesus, it's just that in Jesus we have the fullest incarnation, or the fullest expression of who God is. If you, the one who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. Okay, so it, there is a difference in degree there maybe, but they might be of similar kind. I don't know. I'd have to explore that more. But, um, I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I guess basically I would say yes. The... the I think that other one's just more like a philosophical thing to explore. Um, so, be, be, you know, because of course um, he's speaking creation into existence, which is the same language used for Jesus being the Word, right? And it, so, again, we we might go down a rabbit trail. Pursue that much further. And to make creation, he would have to like to start time. He would have to be. Yeah, and and I I guess I don't remember what the word you would use. I don't know that I would say that he he was bound by time, although Jesus has certainly has some limitations. Um, You know, he talks about not knowing the times when the Father knows those, and so there is a. We're going to talk a little bit about Jesus here in a second. Is it kind of the way we use the word? So, like, say when we're talking about outside time and inside time, is it kind of saying the way that God? experiences and interacts with time. So when we say he's outside of time, we're saying how God interacts mm-hmm. with time. Mm-hmm. So that it's not necessarily like he is then now he's just in play. Now it's like tag you're in. Yeah. It's just more so a different kind of relation with time mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. Jesus is walking on the earth. Yeah, so that's exactly right. So re- remember that all of human history is the present for God. And mm-hmm. so um, it's not like he was Jesus back then and is no longer. If that makes sense. And um, <clears throat> and and it also like don't hear me saying that God is not um, intervening in your timeline. I think he is. It's just all the present for him. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. As much as it can. As much as it can. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, so I'm not arguing that God is detached because he is separate from time. Separate's a bad word. Outside of time. Or, that's right. I don't know. Not bound by time. Not bound by time. We don't have the right word. Yeah, yeah. It's that time has no power over him. Mm-hmm. But, he's, but he has power over time. All right. 
So, okay, how would you describe the spirit in this room? Like, when y'all come together, what, what does that feel like? What adjectives would you use to describe the feeling y'all feel when y'all come together? Pure joy. Pure ecstasy. <laughs> what else? Well, what, what would be the adjectives you would use? Comforting. Okay. Contemplative. Contemplative, yeah. Like a family. Like a family, okay. I like it. What else? Usually I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's pretty relaxed. Relaxed, yeah. Hospitable, inviting. Okay, so... All those adjectives might be adjectives you would use to describe a person. Okay, so let's let's imagine that there is a person that is created by us being gathered together. Okay, there there is this ephemeral spirit. Okay, that you you can't see but has those attributes that are those attributes that stem from the way that we interact with each other. Are you following? Okay, that's the Holy Spirit, Lewis says. Lewis says that um, the Holy Spirit is the person formed by the love between the Father and the Son. That's that's five four a. Um, so does Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> Michael whispered in my ear. Michael's a big Aquinas fan. Uh, so if you go back to four three. Um. Uh, well, uh, well, let me jump back up to four two. I don't know if you have that, but we see. You know, I've talked about this before in many other settings. You kind of see it with the team spirit example with um softball, girl softball. Uh, you see it with um. I've talked about this. Uh, the mob mentality. I've talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. So if you um. You know, if you were walking down Bill Street and I asked you to throw a brick through a storefront window, you'd tell me no. But if you were walking down Bill Street with a thousand really angry people and everybody was throwing bricks, you'd probably do it. Why? Because there's this kind of spirit that has taken over. We call that spirit the mob mentality. Like, people study that. It's such a real thing. Or, you know, you've got this, like, sweet little girl. She's 16. She'd never do anything wrong. Somebody comes to her house. Her parents are home. They hand her some drugs. And they're like, do these drugs? She's like, no way. I'm not going to do those drugs. But she's at a party on Friday night with all of her friends in this house full of people who are doing it. Why she, she does it, right? Why? It's because peer pressure is what we call it. But you can't see peer pressure. It's not like you can reach out and touch peer pressure. You just see its effects. Okay. And, um, okay, so it's, th- there's this, like, th- and that peer pressure, the nature of it is defined by the way that the people in the room are interacting. Just like the mob mentality, the nature of that spirit is defined by the way the people are feeling and the way they're interacting with each other. Okay, so in a positive light, the third person of the Trinity um, always has been and will be the result of the eternal dance between the Father and the Son. Okay, the, the, the Trinity is the love that emerges in that eternal dance between them, Lewis says. And he apologizes for using the term dance. He says he may offend some people, but um, which is great. I appreciate that. He definitely would have been the Church of Christ people no back doubt. in that day. Yeah. Um, okay, and so if the Holy Spirit is the person formed by the love between the Father and the Son to be inhabited by the Spirit, which is the promise of Christian faith, 
or in other words, the Zoe life, must be the greatest possible reality. If the Spirit is the nature of God or the life of God, you should want more than anything to have that life in you, to be transformed by that, to be called up into that eternal dance. Uh, let me see. I think I've got maybe one last reading on this. Are we doing on time? Great. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, this is uh, Lewis. And now, what does it all matter? It matters more than anything else in the world. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life, Father, Son, and Spirit, is to be played out in each one of us. Or putting it in the other way around, each one of us has got to enter that pattern and take his or her place in that dance. There's no other way to the happiness for which we're made. Good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. You guys know about this more than me. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get in the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize, which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not, you will remain dry. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? But how is he to be united to God? How is it possible for us to be taken into this three-personal life? You remember what I said in chapter 2 about begetting and making. Remember we talked about that. We're not begotten by God. We're only made by him. In our natural state, we're not sons of God, only statues. We, we have not got Zoe or spiritual life, only bios or biological life, which is presently going to run down and die. Now, the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. If we do, we shall then be sharing a life which was begotten, not made, which always has existed and always will exist. Christ is the Son of God, and if we share in this kind of life, we will also be sons of God. We shall love the Father as he does, and the Holy Ghost will arise in us. He comes, so he's, he's, he's saying, you know, when Jesus and Father love each other, the Spirit arises between them. It's the result of that love. And he's saying when we begin to love the Father like Jesus does, what arises in us is the Spirit. And it's a different kind of description of what happens at baptism. We kind of say, like, when you get baptized, well, you get the Spirit. And like, it comes on you. <clears throat> he's saying it's the result of... Your love for God, if the Spirit just rises, it's the it's the person that defines your love for God. We shall love the Father as he does, and the Holy Ghost will arise in us. He came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what I call a good infection. It's like a disease that's spreading. Every Christian has become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. He's good. All right. <clears throat> oh, yeah, he's, he's also got this other great line. Life is not tried. It's just merely survived if you're standing outside the fire. That was actually Garth Brooks. Yeah! <laughs> I just love that because he's talking about standing near the fire. That just gave me a lot. I wonder if I could slide that by you. You were like, that's bad. <laughs> like, you're like, wow. No, I need to, like, take a shower. <laughs> 
Where'd you? Yeah, Garth, like we know Garth. Garth. Yeah. Garth and Lewis, the two great prophets of our time. I need forgiveness for my sin. Alright. Okay. So let's go back to where we began. Number number six here. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Again, I'm sorry, ladies. Um Heartbreaking story about that gender-inclusive language. I know we've, we've kind of been joking about it, but I I worked at this little church outside of well, just this little church in West Texas, and uh, twelve people worked there for three years, and um, I would have lunch with different families on different afternoons, and I was with this sweet sweet woman and um, and her husband for lunch, and she was talking about some faith-related matter having to do with her as a woman and I was trying to navigate that with her. I'll never forget this conversation. I forget what precipitated it, but I'll never forget this part. And she just starts to cry. And I said, why are you crying? And I don't remember exactly what I said in response, but she said very clearly, I don't think women get to go to heaven. Mm. She said, I said, what? And of course, nobody had ever preached that to her. It was just all the language she heard growing up was masculine, and um, and so you I mean you think about the effect of that. I'm not saying C.S. Lewis is in that vein, right? It's another era, but man, that that language does have effect on people. The language we use matters. Okay. Side note, that was just you can pay me later for that. That's just a bonus. Or maybe she wasn't paying attention very well. That's been, maybe that too. <laughs> I'm just uh, it was heartbreaking. That is hard. She was in her 70s. Jeez, I believe that. Okay. All right. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. The whole purpose for which we exist is thus to be taken into the life of God. And that's the life we've been describing. Okay. So he talks about in his last chapter. Actually, there's some more chapters after this that I'm not going to get to, but they're so good. I highly recommend them. Uh, he talks about um, the obstinate toy soldier. So we'll do the toy Power Ranger. Okay. Did, so how many of you played uh, with the. There's a hair on this. Yeah. Yes. Put it in my pocket. Can kind of drop it? Just drop it. It's kind of like a booger, you know? You yeah. just flick it on somebody else's carpet, yeah. right? When they're looking. If they're not looking, you flick it. But the booger is worse. Uh, right, the booger's worse. We'll yeah. um, okay, so how many of you played with uh, what I call little guys growing up? You know, little guys or Barbies or anything like that? Okay. Oh, yeah. And so you imagined or you desired probably to some degree that they were real, right? Or you, you kind of had these imaginings or wishes. Okay. Like Pinocchio in Geppetto, making Pinocchio real. That's what he wants. Okay. Imagine if I had the ability to give Blue Ranger here real life. And I did it. Okay. And his response was, why'd you do that? I was a Blue Ranger. And uh, you could press this button. Oh, it doesn't, doesn't work anymore. used to work. And my arms would do this. And I had this really hard exterior, and it was hard to break me. And now I've got, like, flesh and bone, and I can be broken, and my arms aren't, don't do this all the time. Like, I have to do it, and it kind of wears me out. Whereas before, you could just press this button, right? And, and I had batteries, and my eyes glowed when, when you did, you know, push my this button on my foot, my eyes would glow. It doesn't happen anymore, right? Okay. Can you imagine you would be like, you know, you'd throw in the trash if that was its response. Like, what I've given you is so much greater than what you had. And that's your response. Okay. 
calls this the obstinate toy soldier. Okay, he makes this point there in the number two at the end. So six two. The bios or the natural life is resistant to the spiritual life. Paul talks about this a lot, the flesh. That's what he calls it. Resisting the spirit. So in response to Spider Man, or not Spider Man, to Ninja to Power Ranger. <laughs> a lot of superheroes in our lives these days. Alright. So in response to to Power Ranger, I'd want to throw him in the trash if he did that. But God, in response to our obstinance, becomes Christ, man. And Lewis says the equivalent of this would be like you or I, with the level of life we have, becoming a slug. Like the difference between the the Zoe life that God has and human life. He said it'd be like becoming a slug. In other words, he, God, becomes created, human, to become begotten, to go through the process of moving from bios life to Zoe life. He takes on our bios, our natural life, and he kills that natural life in every way so that he would become the first man to be fully alive in God. And then Lewis makes this point. Okay, whereas toys like this Power Ranger are separate from all other toys, that humanity is not separate, that we are all bound to each other. And he, 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 he talks about this since like the 1950s, but kind of at like the molecular level that uh, I've got parts of my mom and me, parts of my dad and me, they've got parts of their parents and them, that there is this kind of like invisible bind between all of us or tie between us all. And that if you were to, to look at humanity in the way that God looks at humanity, he doesn't see Will and see Caitlin separate, but he sees all of them as one large tree okay, uh, that has grown together, that all of them are connected. And so, or, or, or like a large pitcher of water and so what Jesus does as he moves from bios to zoe, from human life to the spiritual life of God, that it's like dropping food coloring in that water, okay, and the whole thing turning. Um, he says it's as if something which is always affecting the whole human mass begins at one point to affect the whole human mass in a new way. Okay, so that bios life that affects us all when Jesus moves from Bios to Zoe, we are all now being influenced by the Zoe life and being called into it. Even those who don't yet believe are being pulled towards that direction. Okay, and you know, that's we sometimes talk about like being haunted by transcendence. You've heard that language before. Um, there's this really important book by this guy named Charles Taylor called The Secular Age. It's like 900 pages. I haven't read the whole thing. Uh, I've just read clip notes of it, but he talks about this. But when it comes to those who are uh, unbelievers, um, that he he says that the most significant category of those are what we call the atheist who is haunted by transcendence, who feels um, that there are these signposts pointing to greater things, but they just can't name it. And Lewis, who's writing much earlier, would be saying that's because the Zoe life or the life that Jesus transitioned to for the sake of the whole human tree, is pulling on those people. So the business of becoming a son of God, of being turned from a created thing into a begotten thing, of passing over from the temporary 
biological life into timeless spiritual life has been done for us. Humanity is already saved in principle. But he says what you personally need to do is to draw close to him to catch the good infection. So again, it's like a, it's kind of like this disease that's spreading through the water. You, you want to be close to the source. Catch the infection. Catch the spirit. He, there's so much other great stuff he talks about. He, he has this great chapter on why aren't Christians nicer than uh, non-Christians. <laughs> and he says the point is that uh, niceness is largely determined by our natural lives, like the way we're wired and our experiences. And so you can't compare a Christian to a non-Christian and, and say who's nicer. What you have to compare the Christian to is themselves before they became a Christian or earlier in their Christian walk. Like where are they compared to the natural place they started at? Okay, in other words, uh, okay, so you might have a non-Christian who's just a super nice guy naturally, and a Christian who started off really crummy, okay, and they may not be as nice as the non-Christian is yet, but the spiritual life is pulling them, and they are nicer than they were, okay? Which is just a cool idea. <laughs> and like a good, like, let us off the hook. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of special pleading there yeah, we're, for the Christians. Yeah, a lot of Christians, that's right. If he saw Christians today, he may think differently. I don't know. Some of us just aren't very really good Christians. All right.